that song reminded me, and I can't remember, I guess perhaps it was a dream. It wasn't more than a week ago, maybe two. And I just, in that dream, vision, whatever it was, I came into the sanctuary and I stood behind the pulpit. And all that I could do was just cry out to God. And it just seemed like tongues started to go forth, that there was just a tremendous move of God. There was a hunger inside of me that all I could do was just reach out to Him and His Spirit began to flow. I want that to be a reality. Not that it has to be behind the pulpit, but I want it to be something inside of me that I hunger for Him with everything that is within me. And God will move in our lives. He's going to move in the sanctuary. Malachi chapter 2, verse number 17. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? And the response is, when you say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or when you say, where is the God of judgment? Amen. You can be seated. It is kind of an interesting book in Malachi. There is a lot of questions and there is the response from people, wherein have we, whatever it is, and then there is the response from God regarding those things. Uh, and so it would probably make a good study, but I want to focus on this one in particular, Malachi chapter 2, 17. Uh, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where's the judgment of God? <clears throat> it is kind of a funny world that we live in, uh, and I it is a point in time, and it seems like it's unique to just now, but that where we call evil good and good evil. And not only that, but we delight ourselves in it. And not only that, but there is the feeling to say that God also approves of certain things. Things for which we know the Word of God does not approve of. Things for which we know even society up until maybe some a recent time did not approve of, but we are here just the same. And we're calling good evil and evil good and delighting ourselves in these things. It's kind of a concern as well that even in modern Christianity, there is a desire to make somehow the Bible more palatable, more accessible, and uh, more uh, less offending, less convicting, less... Uh, harsh if you want to put it that way and so the mentality is very much what was obviously not unique to this day and age but in Malachi it is being addressed as well where we have this they do with evil and call it good in the sight of the Lord in other words that God himself approves and that he delights in the things that we do contrary to modern Christianity if you want to call it that there is a statement that goes something like this. God loves you just the way you are. Now, before I ask for a vote or you shake your head yes or no, uh, uh, let's, let's think about this for a moment. God loves you just the way you are. If we go to Scripture, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All right? And that he loves the sinner. We know that he reaches for them. He came to save them. So on the surface, 100% correct, I agree with that statement. God loves us 
just the way we are. There is not some point that we get to that then God loves us. Because Scripture makes it plain that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. But just below the surface is something that is maybe somewhat inferred. Is that through this, that He loves us just the way that we are, Therefore, there is no need to change. That is 100% false. There is nowhere in the Word of God that would back that up. In fact, when we see that the woman that is brought before Jesus and his, her accusers are getting ready to stone her for the sin of adultery, and we know the story that when we get to the end, there's no accusers, and that Jesus uh, forgives her, but what is his parting words to that woman? Go and sin no more. In other words, I have pulled you, I have redeemed you, I have saved you, I have forgiven you, but you don't go back to where you were. I loved you when you were an adulterous woman, but now that you've been forgiven, don't be an adulterous woman again. There are instructions that we are to change. Go and sin no more. We often hear to justify a lifestyle or even sins of the day that there is a statement that I was born this way. And I'm not going to get into the biological things of what makes somebody more predisposed to alcohol or drugs or other things that the Bible calls a sin. But this one thing I know, that regardless if you truly were born that way, I'm so thankful that we can be born again. We don't have to be how we were born. Some of us grew up in areas and lifestyles that we're so thankful that God filled us with His Spirit and we are not who we were used to be or who society says we should have been if we would have followed in mama's footsteps or daddy's footsteps, but we were born again. No, we don't crawl back up in our mother's womb to be born again, but we are resurrected with Christ, with the infilling of His Spirit. We are born again. So regardless of that statement, we can be born again. We can be changed when we are filled with His Spirit. We must recognize, of course, that none of us are perfect. None of us, and also yet, none of us should glory in our failures. We see that. Well, none of us are perfect, so I'm going to go do this anyway. I, that, that thinking is, is a problem. And here's what Malachi said. You are exalting your failures. This is what verse 17 is saying. He said, you're exalting your failures. You are delighting yourself in the sin. And you are also assuming, therefore, that God is pleased with what you are doing. And we are not just talking about new Christians here. We're not just talking about people that have, uh, this is their first time into the sanctuary uh, we must be careful. We are saying those that have been uh, repented, that have been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, we must be very careful that we do not become comfortable in our sin just because it's unlike somebody else's sin. We cannot get to that point. At some point, you will see or assume that there is nothing wrong with it, that there has been no judgment for the sin, and therefore God must be validating your opinions and your choices. And this is what Malachi is saying. Where's the judge? 
if it was wrong, there would be a judge. There would be an immediate consequence. I'm so thankful there's not an immediate consequence for sin, aren't you? I'm so thankful for the grace of God that allows me to get to an altar and find repentance and forgiveness in an altar. But we cannot become so content with who we are and unwilling to change that we get into the mode of researching other churches to find ones that validate what we think is right. Or we get into some internet chat room to find finally someone that we've never met and we don't know if they even actually exist that validates the way that we feel. Truth is truth. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter who we find to validate our beliefs. It doesn't change reality. And so we, especially as the church, can get, we can get into a rut that we are so comfortable because there hasn't been uh, an outcome. There hasn't been judgment that we continue to go through things and do things that we know just aren't quite right. Well, strangely, at one point in time, we knew they weren't just quite right. But now we're very comfortable with where we are. I know we overuse it a lot, but that's why Paul said, I die daily. One of the most spiritual individuals of the New Testament, I die daily. And he is speaking to the church or to the church. He's not speaking to the world, trying to let them, hey, y'all need to repent. Yeah, they do. But he's writing to the church and saying, hey, you've got to under, we cannot become so comfortable that we forget what sin is. We have to be careful. We have to die daily. Luke chapter 13, verse number 3, kind of, and you don't have this for the Tracy, it's all right. Uh, Jesus is kind of instructing something very similar here. He says, uh, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What was he talking about? And, and the, the verse before it, it's talking about some individuals who were doing some things and therefore, you know, they must be worse sinners. In other words, they are sinning differently than me. Therefore, they must be what real sinners look like. And Jesus looks at them and he says, No, unless ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then he goes into uh, another group of people who, uh, who died tragically. And there's the assumption that there were some sins that they were involved in. Uh, and, and that's why they died. And right or wrong, uh, they're looking at it. And it's almost like the people are saying, they did wrong. That must mean I'm right. Right? They were the ones that were judged and were killed. I was not killed. Therefore, I must be, I must be perfect. I must be doing everything. And Jesus looks at them. And again, it says the exact same words. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We have to be careful with our walk with God. We cannot look at someone else and assume that their sin is different and therefore mine is okay or mine is not as bad. Jesus is saying to them, regardless of whether it's big or whether it's small, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I don't want to become comfortable with sin. How do you become comfortable with sin? That's not the, the point of this message. But, but what allows us to become comfortable with sin is we don't address it. We don't deal with it. We just go through the motions. And nothing happens. Therefore, it's okay. Romans chapter 5, verse number 19. No surprise. I'm 
speaking about repentance today, teaching about repentance today. Romans chapter 5, verse number 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, talking about Adam or Adam and Eve, and so by the obedience of one, talking about Jesus, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered <clears throat> that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, grace did much more abound. I want to pause right there. I've got to pull out just this little nugget. Wherever sin abounds, grace did much more abound. There is no sin in this world that cannot be covered by God, by grace and forgiveness. There is not one that as long as an individual is willing to respond to God, there is not a point that you can get to in which it is too far. Scripture makes it very plain. Where sin aboundeth, it doesn't say grace also abounds. It says grace did much more abound. So regardless of where we are, there is no point too far. Verse number 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign throughout, or through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we can get really attached to that last verse because we hear about grace and eternal life. And so it's starting to validate uh, God loves you just the way you are. There's no need to change and that there is grace to cover it all. And so, in fact, this grace covers you. And now we see the words eternal life. These are things that sound really good to me. Uh, I, I'm liking where Paul is going with this, right? Doesn't matter. Whatever you do, grace is there. And whatever you do, grace provides eternal life, no matter the sin. And so if we wanted to create a theology off of this, it would be very easy to say, God loves you the way that you are, and it doesn't matter who you are now, there, there's no need to change. God still loves you. That is true. We already talked about that at the beginning. I won't rehash that. But Paul goes on to write the very next chapter. He wants to make sure that we aren't confused with what he's talking about. So Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 1 says, shall, or what shall we say then? All right, because he's addressing what he just talked about. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, do we just sin because grace just covers it all? Verse 2, very strong words here. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein so he is addressing it head on point blank straightforward no we do not continue in sin just because grace abounds how can we if we are truly dead to sin continue in sin it is a heart check a soul check for us if we continue in sin something's not right because the scripture says how shall we that are dead to sin live therein? I'm going to jump down to verse number 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We are instructed to yield to God. 
There will be lust. There will be temptations. There will be thoughts. There will be challenges. But we are to daily yield ourselves to God and to righteousness. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Ooh, we got back to the grace thing. I thought Paul had forgot it. I want, I want more of the grace, right? And then just to make sure we're not confused, verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that, that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or obedience unto righteousness. There are several key understandings about this sin that we are talk, talking about. Some large principles is that we must be worried about sin in our lives. We must be worried about it. And not just the world. Reminder here that this was written to the church. The church, you and I that are faithful, that are sitting in a pew this morning and could be anywhere else, and there probably are other people that are in any number of places elsewhere, but us, the church, must be concerned with our spiritual walk. And salvation does not end the pull of sin in our lives. Man, I wish that was the case. But we are still human. We talk about the words lust. You saw those multiple times in there. There are things that are going to appeal to humanity and we are still human this mortal has not yet put on immortality there will be a day but we're not there yet and so we are still bound by this earthly body so we have those things it does not end temptation and Paul makes it clear we are not to sin we are to be obedient unto righteousness go a little bit further since we mentioned this word uh, uh, temptation um, and and I, I mention this regularly, but it's because I hear it regularly, not always necessarily at the church, uh, but on occasion I do, but I also hear it at work, and I don't, often don't get a chance to do a Bible study at work, although there is the occasion. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, we hear statements like this. You've heard them. Well, God is just tempting me. Yeah, you've heard that, right? God is trying to see if I've really changed. Uh, yeah, God is trying to see if I will stumble. God is trying to see if I will go back to my old ways. I have to say, that's not who our God is. That, that, I, I, I think if you've been in the Word of God enough that you would understand the essence of who our God is, but there are expressed scriptures that make it very clear that God is not trying to trip you up. In fact, the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking quite the opposite, that God's nature is, uh, He takes no, no uh, pleasure in the death of the wicked, that, that He desires to bless, that He desires to touch, that He desires to forgive, that He desires to save. James chapter 1, verse number 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither... This is the part, neither tempteth he any man. He does not set evil in front of us as a way to tempt us to see if we are somehow worthy. None of us are worthy of anything. And he doesn't tempt us with evil, but every man is tempted. Now, I'm going to qualify that here in a moment, but understand that Every single one of us, regardless of where we sit, regardless of where we stand, regardless of our last name, regardless of how long we have been in the church, every man is tempted. 
but I will qualify that with the rest of the Scripture. When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You can break the hold to a lot of temptation and a lot of distraction and not give in to lust by simply, the old song, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little feet where you go. You know, we sung it in, in, in Sunday school if you grew up in church. It's true, 100%. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It is positions that we allow ourselves to be put in that allow us to be given to our own lust and enticed. There are things that we can proactively do that remove us from temptation, especially if we know we've already been tempted and fallen in those areas before. At some point in time, we have to remove the temptation. Whether it's from media, uh, you know, we are bombarded with that stuff. And, and whether it's written or TV or internet, any of those things can draw us into temptation, give into lust, and we can be enticed. Even social media, you know, it, it's fun. It's, you know, I, I even fell into it. I said I wouldn't. There's these women screaming at this cat and a cat responding and all of these memes. And I said, I wouldn't do it. I won't give in, even though I laughed at some of them. And at some point, I broke, right? I, I, I broke, and I had to share one. Uh, I just thought it was funny. Um, that's not what I'm talking about here, being drawn away and enticed of our own lust and, and social media. That, that's not what I'm referring to. But we have to be very careful with what we allow our eyes to be open to. Because even in today, there, the amount of technology we have has even blurred the lines between what is sin and what is not sin, what is okay and what is not okay. If we take it from a, a, a very uh, obvious one, if, if we say uh, adultery is sin, I don't have to say that the Word of God says that, but if we say that, when we get into social media and different things, you know, what is wrong if nothing happens? Right? What? We didn't. I just. I'm, nothing actually happened. But the word of God also says that, as a man, if a man thinks on a woman, he's committed adultery already. Or as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we are continuing to allow our minds, especially as men. I think we're more susceptible to that. We allow our minds to think on those things, and then somehow we validate it as saying, well, nothing really happened, but the Word of God says, if you're already thinking it, it already happened. you got to get on your knees, bud. That's not acceptable. You're going to have to change. That's sin. If a man knoweth to do right and he doeth not, it's sin. That's also the Word of God. So we, we've got to be careful. I'll just leave uh, this one statistic with you, and it's directed toward us men, and so I'll say it. The more time that husbands spend, this is a research study, more time that husbands spend on social media sites like Facebook, among others, the worse both they and their wives felt about their marriage. Isn't that astonishing? That there is, there is a correlation between the amount of time that men, I don't know what happens if women spend a lot of time on social media, I guess nothing, but, but if men... The more it is, it is 
related correlation. It's a positive correlation that more time they spend, the more likely that not only they but their wives will feel unhappy in their marriage. Does that mean that, that social media is a sin? Absolutely not. But we have to understand that a number of things can be used to entice us and to cause us to give into our own worldly lust. It's going to happen. So we have to guard against those things. At times, we have to do, uh, you know, the, the unthinkable. Unplug. Right? Uh, there, there, there's some of us, you know, uh, that, that are in my generation or the generation one or two after that are saying, I'm not doing social media. Like, what? My grandma, my grandma is on social media. <laughs> and, and, and for various reasons, they, they do that, but they are also removing that potential for to give into lust and temptation. We've got to guard ourselves. I didn't mean to spend so long there, but we continue. And it was James chapter uh, 1 we were in, and, and the very next verse, verse number 15. So we're talking about lust. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away. And then we got verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, again, when we give into that, we allow our mind to dwell there. We don't put a check in our mind. We don't disconnect the devices. We don't turn off the TV. We don't remove whatever it is that's causing that. When it is finished, or it bringeth forth sin. And when sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's a correlation as well. You don't have to do research for it. The Word of God already says it. We have to guard ourselves. So there's some understanding that we can have here. We, we are called not to sin. I think that's pretty straightforward. We got that, right? And, and Jesus did not abolish the law, but came to fulfill it. And so in some ways, there is a higher, we're not going to do a whole Bible study here, but there's a higher expectation now than there was even in the Old Testament, right? I've already referenced some of them. As a, if a man thinketh on a woman, he's already committed that adultery. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. These are not concepts that were in the Old Testament. This is the New Testament after Jesus. And the last thing is that Jesus or God is not tempting you, but temptation can 100% draw you away, can 100% draw you into sin. Old Testament sin, for the most part, judgment, death. Wow, that's harsh. But New Testament, because of grace. Thank God for grace. That sin still abounds, sin still destroys, but regardless of whether a sin that we commit now would have been immediate stoning in the Old Testament, because of Jesus and the blood that He shed on Calvary, we can come before Him and say, God, I've messed up. And that blood flows and that grace allows that there is not that immediate judgment which we are worthy to receive, but the price was paid and there is grace. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent. That's where we are, we're repenting. We've kind of skirted around this, uh, but what is repentance? Uh, it's more than just forgiveness, right? Well, I've been forgiven. That's not repentance. You get repentance as, or you get forgiveness as a part of repentance, true repentance, uh, but they're not necessarily one in the same. Uh, and then it is more than just being sorry, Right? You've made your kids, your children apologize at some point in the past. 
you knew they weren't sorry, but they said the words. <laughs> like, how much can we hope for? You know, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> That's all I can do. I can't make them mean it. Man, I wish we could do that, right? You could make them say it and make them mean it. Uh, but that's a heart condition. I might be able to control the mouth, but not the heart. And we see oftentimes, because there is, we're saying that some of these things are not synonymous with repentance. They're not one and the same. But we often see that there are others that, and sometimes even celebrities that, that uh, are claimed to be born again. Uh, or they've found... God, and, and I 100% hope that they have. I 100% hope that there are changes. But I will say this, but if there's no difference to how they were before and how they were after, and they're still entwined with the same perversions of this world, something's got to make me question. Now, I don't judge their heart. I don't judge their salvation. I'm just saying that we've all seen, just like our kids saying, I'm sorry, and we know they're not, that repentance can be the same way, that there can be words that are said that are not necessarily meant. And I think we're kind of hinting at some points we want to get here in just a moment. Uh, we often say it, though, that repentance is, it, it, it is a miraculous changing of the mind. Never underestimate that it is initiated by an individual, but when an individual meets God, their whole desires can be changed. That's why we say it is a miraculous changing of the mind. They didn't know how they were going to get deliverance, how they were ever going to change. All they knew is they were sorry that they had messed up, that they had made mistakes. And when those two spirits met, not only did God allow His blood to wash over them, but He touched their physical mind. And in some cases, even their dependencies were broken. There's no other word to describe that other than miraculous. Because all the self-will that they had ever had before said, you can't break this chain that binds you. But one moment in the presence of God, with the conditions of a heart that is cultivated, and suddenly the control that Satan once had over that life is broken. And they can walk out completely free. That is a miracle. I am so thankful I am so thankful that God still moves in apostolic services and people walk out of this place and they had an impairment, they had a health issue, and they walk out completely healed. I'm so thankful that that still happens. But even more than that is that somebody walk into the house of God bound by sin and when they respond to the presence of God, that miracle that happens, that repentance, changes them completely. Completely says the angels rejoice. Man, they don't rejoice over the healing, they rejoice over the soul that was delivered. It's a miraculous changing of the mind. So I think we find that in scriptures. Uh, backed up pretty plain. Paul talks about this. He says, I, I've come to, uh, to, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. That's a changing. They were going one way, they're moving another way. And from the power of Satan unto God, that, that they may receive forgiveness of sin. So somewhere in that change comes forgiveness. Notice that subtlety? From darkness to light and from Satan unto God. And with that change, then they receive forgiveness. 
Paul also said that they should repent and turn to God and do works uh, meet or fit for repentance. We'll get back to that here in just a few moments if time allows. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number 30. More in this turning ourselves. There's got to be a change. There's a, a miraculous changing of the mind. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone, according to his ways, saith the Lord God, repent and turn. I'm sorry and keep doing what you're doing. No. Repent and turn. Repent and turn yourself from all your transgressions. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. Verse number 31, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure. This is, I mentioned this earlier. God is saying, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourself and live. We have to change. There's a continual call to repentance and change throughout the Bible, not only to those that are lost, but also to the church. We are not exempt. We are not exempt from continually examining our lives and asking God to miraculously change us in His altar. We are not exempt. True repentance is a God thing, no doubt, but make no mistake, repentance is more than regret. It is more than being sorry. It is more than getting caught. It is more than the fine. It is more than the ticket. It is more than the incarceration. It is more than being called out, being singled out, your name in the newspaper. Repentance is way more than any of that. True repentance provides a radical transformation of mind, that conviction that changes our spiritual direction and our choices, there has to be a change. Let's break it down. So we're talking about, we've kind of been all around this, right? You have to uh, repent. You have to even guard ourselves so those that have been filled with the Spirit. We get all of that. But then we're starting to talk about that there is some differences between what looks like repentance but is not repentance and what really is repentance and therefore is repentance. I think there are some basic things from these stories that we can glean and from others that the first step in true repentance is recognition of sin. Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Until there is a point in time that we say, I've sinned. I've messed up. I need a Savior. Until we get to that point, I don't believe true repentance can happen. I don't believe forgiveness can happen. I want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell. Those are fears. That's not repentance. Repentance says, I've messed up. I'm sorry. I, I, I need a Savior. Recognizing and admitting those things that, one, you've made the mistake that you need help, that you will not be saved without a move of God in your life. And why shouldn't we want help, right? For the wages of sin is, yeah, those are strong consequences. We have to recognize we're sinners. We recognize sin in our life. We have to, to confess our sin. 
Well, God already knows everything. Why confess? I think because sometimes we don't know everything. We need to admit. God, forgive me of all my sins. Well, I mean, that's noble. And, and maybe if it's your first time at an altar, that works really well. But you have not identified what is sin in your life. How can you change if you don't know what you're changing from? You call out things in your life. Confession is important. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. You want to push it under and just try to not deal with it and just put it under a blanket of, yeah, that, that's not going to work. It won't prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh, uh, that's the repentance part there, they shall have mercy. As embarrassing as it may be, even when we're alone, to actually verbalize words and confess infidelity or addiction or pornography or lying or drunkenness or rebellion or whatever else it is that you're struggling with in your life, we have to confess those things. Not to anyone else. Don't have time for all of that, but, but, but Judas, know this. Judas went back to the high priest, and Judas says, I have sinned. What did the high priest say? What is it to us? Our confession is not unto man, it's unto God. Because when we find David also confesses to the prophet Nathan, but then we find out he pours out his heart to God. And in that, we find forgiveness. So we don't have to go to anyone else. A, con a contrite spirit. A genuine, that's the third one, a contrite spirit, genuine sorrow for sins committed, wrongs done. Our heart is broken. It is not necessarily that there are tears that are shed, although it is common, right? That when you are that broken, now as a young person, every time I went to the altar, if I didn't cry, I felt like, man, it wasn't genuine. I've got to pray harder. Somebody come lay hands on me. Someone speak something. I want to, but th that, that is not a sign, outward sign, that there's a true contrite spirit. We know that godly sorrow worketh repentance. That's that contrite spirit. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. We have to decide, number four is decide uh, to forsake sin. Repentance is a decision that is made. It's a point in which you are not going back. I'm not coming this way again. I think that's straightforward. And finally, one maybe that's not as clear as restitution. There are certain times things that we have to go back and make right. In fact, Scripture says, uh, Jesus says that if you go to the altar and, and, and you remember you have ought, go take care of that ought with your brother, fix it, make it right, and then you come back. There are some things that to get repentance, forgiveness, we have to go make things right. Zacchaeus, when he was called out, what did he say? He said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor, and if I have taken anything wrongfully by false accusation, I will return it fourfold to him. What was he doing? That was repentance, but it was that last part. He's going to make it right, if that's possible. It is our hearts that God is looking for. We may not have all the answers, and we don't know how to change, but when we admit things, we see that it is different. I, as we all stand, I'm going to read this last scripture, Psalms chapter 51, verse number 1. This is David having been caught in adultery, having confessed to Nathan, the prophet, 
But he doesn't end there. This was not just confession to man. How do we know that? Because this is what David pours out to God. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities. And cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. You see, he's not only asking for forgiveness, but he's pouring out his heart to God. He knows He's messed up, and he's also committing to change. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. It is a beautiful psalm, but it is an intimate, if you understand what was going on, all the things, all the ways he had messed up. But because of that spirit that he had, that repentance, God forgave him. I wonder if, if we could have that spirit as well, that God would lead us. Those that have been in this truth for 50 years, 10 years, 5 years, 5 weeks, 5 days. We need to always be searching our heart in removing, repenting. I die daily. Could we ask that that spirit would be instilled in us right now. Lord Jesus.